from GreenBiz Group, welcome to this week's edition of 350. I'm Joel McCower here in New York City this week on this week's edition, Inside Walmart's Next Generation Sustainability Goals, How Smaller Companies Are Lighting Up Renewables, and a view from the 2016 BSR Conference. We're live from New York, sort of, this week on 350. It's November 4th, 2016. Welcome to this week's edition of Green Biz 350. I'm Joel McCower. Here with me this week is senior writer Heather Clancy. Hey, Heather. Hello. Welcome to my turf, Joel, here in New York. Always love being in the Big Apple. I miss it. I don't get enough time here. Uh, we've both been here. We're actually in the uh, Grand Hyatt Hotel and uh, right next to Grand Central Station uh, at the uh, sort of close of uh, the 2016 BSR Commerce. BSR is, uh, for the uninitiated, uh, used to be called Business for Social Responsibility. It's now just a three-letter acronym, you know, like so many other things. Most people forget, Heather, that there used to be called something something called Home Box Office, right? It's now known as just HBO and BS. Business for Social Responsibility is BSR, and it's really, this is a 24th annual conference. I have the awesome reputation of having been to all 24 of them, um, but uh, so I've been part I do not. Yeah, no. You're, you, this is your first time? <laughs> no, it's a couple, but I'm significantly younger than you, Joel. Well, there is that. Um, but I've been watching this organization uh, develop, unfold, and, and really do amazing work over the past almost quarter century. And... Um, you know, it's a, it's a great event. It's a lot of uh, beyond the typical environmental sustainability. There's a lot of uh, workplace and community engagement and philanthropy, human rights, and so many other aspects of, of sustainability beyond the environmental part. Uh, what's your impression, Ben, just in terms of the, the event, the kind of people? What, 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 how do you think about all this? So I just came out of a session about technology. Um, every, you know, there's just a saying in sort of the world today, not just the sustainability world, that every company is a technology company, right? So we were, they were exploring um, issues of how digital technologies, such as oh, gadgets, um, smartphones, uh, devices, tags on on things, if you will, even potentially the the ubiquitous, uh, well, not ubiquitous, but the the mysterious blockchain technology, which um, we'll be writing about a lot more here at Greenbus. But my impressions are that um, there's a, a, uh, a next layer of companies starting to participate in some of these things. Certainly there's the, the giants, you know, you see those people on stage, but you're hearing more about mid, mid-sized companies, the, the, the people that are one step below the Fortune 100, if you will, that are starting to do really meaningful projects. I just heard, it's a bizarre example, but I'm gonna give it to you. Um, you know, when you think about how digital technology might be used to collect information about both a business and a thing, in this particular case, a health issue. Um, I just heard an example of a, a, a venture capitalist in, in, the, in Europe that has this, funded a rat trap, if you will, a <laughs> rodent extermination company. Um, and they, they're creating smart traps. So, okay, you're thinking, what the heck does that mean? Well, so they, they catch the, the varmints, if you will, but at the same time, they collect all sorts of really interesting information about disease. What diseases do you have? What, where are these things coming from? And they can use that information to ad- address health issues, not just the, the very you know, icky problem of get rid of that thing. 
It's classic. You build a better mousetrap in the world, or rat trap in this case. This is literally that case. Um, well, lots more good examples. And a little later in, in this episode, we'll talk with Aaron Kramer, the president and CEO um, of, of BSR, about this year's theme about being bold mm -hmm. and what that means and uh, what, what that looks like in real life. Uh, but for now, let's get to the Week in Review. So Heather, you did uh, two stories this week on uh, re relate to renewable energy. One was about um, uh, sort of the new rankings from the uh, Solar Industries Association, uh, looking at uh, Solar Energy Industries Association, look assessing which companies are at sort of at the top of the list and procuring the most solar energy. Uh, this is something that's been going on for a while. I guess you've been tracking this for uh, more than just this year. Uh, How is this year's rankings and how is it different from the past? So um, I have been following this for quite a while, uh, and one of the things I think is fascinating is that pretty much the top 10 is, is the same, right? If you look at who's really investing and has been investing for the past several years, it's the big retailers, the, the real estate investment trusts. Um, I wrote about Prologus uh, a few months ago, and everyone's like, who's that? Well, it's you know, one of the biggest warehouse companies in the world. Um, what's changed about the rankings this time is that Target is actually number one after Walmart being in that position for a couple of years, very, very by a very slim margin, if you will, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of leapfrogging. But um, the thing that struck me as most interesting this week, um, it happened, it was brought up at the BSR conference, but also on our own webcast, is that uh, much smaller companies are starting to participate in this, um, and they're doing so by the aggregation of deals. So several people are coming together to, to say, I need this renewable, I, you need this, like, let's get together and, and, and make this happen. And are they doing this on site or are they buying renewables from other sources? Where are they, where's the solar being installed? So it's, it's happening in, in a couple of different ways, as you might expect. Um, the, I'll give an example that was used on the webcast and that was Iron Mountain, right? So they're a big company, but not quite as big as Walmart. Um, or Amazon or, or what have you. And they are doing various um, small small projects, right? So they've managed to find people that are willing to finance um, and work with them on several megawatts. Uh, and, and that's on-site stuff. But they've also gotten involved in some pretty large um, wind power, uh, power purchases. So, um, and one of the ways they, they did this was by teaming with Amazon. So Amazon had this huge wind farm that they were going to invest in and Iron Mountain came in as a as a 10% buyer, right? So they're they're committing to 10% of that. And I think you'll see a lot more of those sorts of deals where uh, maybe a bigger company uh, facilitates a lot of the, the contracting morass and the, and smaller organizations are able to participate. Well, speaking of companies that no one has ever heard of, uh, you wrote about a company called General Growth Properties, GGP for short. Um, who who are they and why are they at the top of the list or near the top of the list? So I love writing about companies that people are like, what? Who's, who are they? They happen to uh, are be the, the mall operator behind the biggest shopping outdoor shopping mall in the world it's like two million square feet um in in hawaii wow so you know and actually uh from a personal standpoint they also run one of the huge malls near me in new jersey land of shopping malls hmm. so general growth properties um what struck me is uh, you know so i thought okay gotta call these people gotta find out what's driving their corporate solar program and when i did arrange that interview i was 
very interested to see that they put the chief operating officer on the phone, not the sustainability person, not the energy procurement person, but the COO. And uh, his name is Shobi Khan, and let's hear what he has to say about the philosophy behind these investments. When you think about sustainability, you know, we are, our properties are typically the town center for a lot of the communities that we're in. Um, and we are, you know, typically a focal point for that community. And what we want to do, obviously, is do right not only for our retailers and our customers and our shareholders. And having sustainability is a key portion of that. And it makes sense, you know, to have a better environment and, you know, reduce our footprint on the environment. But then, as well, uh, socially and economically, uh, do right for GGP. So finance seems to be one of the gating issues for, for a lot of these projects. How is GGP financing a solar program? As you might expect, since it's part of an operational um, strategy for, for the company, they're actually doing themselves. They've decided that they wanted to make this part of their core uh their core business value. So in some cases, they actually are offering their roofs to other companies, right? So they're putting the installations on and then they're helping other organizations that want to offset some of their, their, own, um, their own solar needs. So they are building them themselves and they are using their own cash to finance them. It's a combination of the electrical rates that are in that jurisdiction the amount of incentives that you're getting from either the utility or the state, um, and then typically uh, federal tax credits. So you put a combination of what the rates are that you're being charged, of how costly that electricity is versus the incentives, and then you know the layout that you can get in terms of how much of coverage you can get. And obviously, you run that through a, a financial model to see kind of what the returns would be if you invested the money, because. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but some companies will go hire a third party and just go pay them uh, kind of like a, a fixed payment. And then the third party will go do the uh, installation of the capital. GGP invests its own money. We own the solar panels. We buy the solar panels. We install the solar panels. And we then own those solar panels in perpetuity. Mm -hmm. So we're putting our own money to work. GGP probably doesn't run all of these directly themselves. They're all over the country and everyone got 128 properties. Um, so they must they have individual property managers. Is it hard getting them involved? So as part of their overall sustainability program, the, the organization has something, and I'm, I'm going to mess up the acronym, but it's the Energy Operations Analytics Engine or some such. Right? Mm -hmm. So they've invested in a very large um, application for rolling up down to the outlet level all of the power usage across their properties. And this, this includes the properties that aren't yet solarized, if you will, but they let the individual property managers have very detailed access to that information because kind of, you know, you, you want to you want to make this part of number one, someone's incentive, right? Some why are they going to work? They're incented from a compensation standpoint to be better than their peers. We got to make our property better. And how is solar going to participate on this? How are we going to, what systems do we need to change on the roof? Um, the, the HVAC, right? They've done a lot of, that's been another area where, where um, GDP has done a lot of work in replacing their, their, uh, their energy management systems across the property. They let people participate at the, at the very, um, the very granular level. I have loved. I love the culture. They have this great um, mission statement, if you will. You know, everyone has core values, and I love. I love GPTPs. It's called "Had to" with an exclamation point. Mm. 
and the, 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 you know, that's obviously an acronym for several different things, but those things were humility, attitude, do the right thing together and own it. And so that, that they use that philosophy to drive their entire sustainability strategy, which, which is just part of their business strategy. And that to me is just very profound. Here's what Mr. Khan had to say about the corporate strategy and why he gets individual property managers involved. It gets back to the core values. We're all in this together uh, and they do own it because each property has got a budget every year of kind of what they're projecting to do. And the second biggest line item expense in a budget is their utility usage. And so they are, you know, they track what their usage is, uh, not only from a P&L cost point of view, what they're doing monthly with their bills, but then annually uh, what the total is to, to affect their budget. Um, and then the software that I talked about is giving each of these property managers, and they've got a team that typically they have an engineer or uh, operations manager and their staff on on uh, on the property and they're getting reports you know second hourly you know second minute hourly weekly etc to see how their usage is and they're looking to see how they can be efficient with that usage and while we're speaking of solar I mean there was this announcement that I think everybody sort of knows about sort of hard to miss even among uh, among the uh, amidst the election coverage and everything else about Tesla and so uh, their new rooftop solar tiles. Um, this is uh, this has gotten uh, just a lot of play that this is not just innovation, but this could be a game changer. I mean, they created these tiles that are uh, four different um, styles that sort of look like uh, they're glass with uh, solar embedded in it. They're, they're outlast the, the roof will outlast the house and the price of the of the of the solar roof um uh, is less than putting on a new roof and adding solar and paying electric bills um obviously you can power your tesla with that should you have one or any ev is this really a game changer heather so i think um first of all it's solar it's solar city and tesla right so that's interesting right they're together doing this which is part of the, the value proposition and hopefully the um and, and they're hoping the merger will pull that off. But for me, the, 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 the reason this is so interesting is because they're a brand name. Building integrated photovoltaics, photo, PV, if you will, and I'm messing up the, the name, but hey, I'm a human. Hmm. Um, but BIPV has been around forever, right? We've hey. been trying to do this forever. And, and companies makes, like Dow and others have come into this. Come and gone. And gone, right. Right, and, and, and the reason I think partly is that they were counting on the the contractors and the installers to sell the the homeowners on this right to or the or the businesses that were thinking about integrating this and clearly cost was a big deal like it was there was a premium and so forth and that's still you know i i'm i'm not i don't really we don't really know much about the pricing of of this the tesla solar city stuff because it's not available yet right it won't be available till next year but the the big thing here is that homeowners are now going to ask about this stuff. They're, they're going to hear about it. They, they, Elon Musk sneezes and everyone covers it. And mm. so for me, that is a, a, a game changer because now homeowners are going to think about this when they're thinking about their solar installations in the first place. And it could really turn the market around.
So at the BSR conference with Aaron Kramer, the CEO uh, of BSR, um, Aaron, the theme this year is be bold. What does it mean for a company to be bold in 2016? Well, um, the world is changing so fast that um, being bold involves uh, thinking about how changing business models, uh, new technologies, new ways of engaging with consumers can allow for quantum leaps in sustainability. So that's one. Second thing is setting bold goals. We're seeing more and more companies, a number have this fall, we're going to see more announcements in the coming weeks, setting big goals, big reductions in greenhouse gases, um, big commitments on the social side to improve people's lives. So setting bold targets uh, is another thing. I, I think the third is bold collaboration. It's absolutely essential that we join forces to uh, really put systems together to create change because otherwise we won't make the progress uh, that we want. The other thing that's come out from the conference that's been interesting is more of a bolder communication of the values that underpin sustainability. That's been a big, that's been something that's been quite different here at the conference this year. And it's very heartening uh, because I think uh, we spent a lot of time debating the business case for sustainability. We can get into a lot of technical arguments and lose sight of the overriding purpose uh, that we're here to, to push forward. So that, that's, that's been very gratifying. Can you give me an example of something you've heard here this week that you feel is appropriately bold and just gives you hope? Well, I, I, we've, we've made a call to action at BSR that we hope companies will pick up on, which is uh, to redouble efforts to think about basic economic fairness and open societies, because those are in short supply right now, and uh, particularly in the United States and Europe. And so we're we want companies to think more and more about maintaining quality jobs uh, in an era of automation. We think that business leaders need to stand up, as for example, Randall Stevenson of AT&T did several weeks ago, to talk about uh, basic justice and, and, and fairness within our society. So as we've seen more and more companies be willing to embrace that agenda, it tells me that a new front is opening on sustainability. So uh, Randall Stevenson supported Black Lives Matter and, and made some things that are kind of controversial, at least at least had been historically. Is that part of what being bold is all about? Absolutely. Um, companies operate within the broader societies in which we all live. And um, when those societies are fraying, uh, we won't have sustainable business. We won't have inclusive business. And at a time when uh, national governments are struggling to find their feet in many ways, business leaders' voice um, really help to move important dialogues forward. Not only that, they create um, great, great loyalty and excitement, frankly, on the part of, of, of their, their employees and at a time when I think that's desperately needed. One of the things that's been talking about, we're all talking about, are the sustainable development goals. Um, where do those fall for you on the sort of the boldness scale? Are those appropriately bold or, or are those just, uh, just sort of a good baseline? How do you, in, in your thinking about being bold, where do those fall? Well, achievement of the sustainable development goals would be a bold achievement. It, it, it would radically improve lives for billions of people around the world. So in that regard, they're bold. Here's the context I would put them in. I think really for the first time, there's a clear template for business on sustainable development. Yes, the SDGs, 
also the Paris Agreement and the various national and local steps that are being taken and, and policy frameworks that are being established. You have the UN Guiding Principles on Business and Human Rights. You have the Women's em Empowerment Principles. Really, for the first time, a company can look around and say, I know where I need to, to go. Now it's all about getting there. So I think taken together, the SDGs with some of these parallel uh, objectives that have been established, that creates a bold agenda. So now that's where then bold leadership, bold goals, bold collaborations are necessary to turn those bold objectives into reality. Well, 24 years, BSR, um, really incredible work that you have done, and um, it's it really is a, a testimony to, uh, it, it, you can see the results from what's going on out there because of the catalyst role that you have played. Uh, so gratifying. Thank you for all that you're doing. Uh, Aaron Kramer, the president and CEO of BSR. Thank you very much, Joel. And you've been a core partner all along the way, so much appreciated for that as well. So this week here in New York, we've got quite the uh, Green Biz crew. We've got um, my co-founder Pete May, the president of Green Biz Group here, along with John Davies, uh, the um, uh, vice president and uh, head of research in the Green Biz Executive Network, Ellie Beekner, our conference director. You've already heard from Heather Clancy, senior writer. And we have the newest member of the Green Biz team, associate editor Anya Hollemeiser. Uh, Anya, welcome to Green Biz. Hi, Joel. Thank you so much for having me here. It's a pleasure to work with you and uh, definitely a pleasure to start off my, uh, my time with GreenBiz here at BSR. Well, you've written a few stories for us over just in the past few weeks and um, before, before you were officially a member of the GreenBiz team. But, uh, so we get, got to know you a little bit through that, but tell us a little bit about uh, where you came from and why this job was something you were interested in. Sure. Um, my sustainability journey be, uh, began before I even knew about corporate sustainability and, um, and risk management. Um, I started my journalism career uh, with, uh, with a reporting job at, um, at a risk management newspaper in 2011. And one of the things that we covered with uh, my editor, who uh, then went on to The New Yorker, so he had a very broad view of uh, the topics that, uh, that we wanted to cover, even if it was a trade paper, um, so what was in the news, um, enterprise risk management, which is uh, incorporates climate risk, um, both the effects of climate change and natural disasters on businesses and their supply chains, but also the uh, way that company activities um, also contribute to creating these, uh, these events. Um, so I... Um, became really interested and it, it really hit home um, when we were affected by Hurricane Sandy 
and my uh, my office, which is located in Hoboken, was flooded for for weeks. We oh. couldn't get to work. Yeah, so I really got to to see the the real time impact of of climate change and severe weather events. Um, and I realized that if I was going to have a career in uh, risk management or I was going to have a career in business writing, I wanted to to go into something that had a social impact. And um, that was where my career started. And it sounds like you had been tracking green biz for a while. <laughs> yes, I love green biz. And I've been a fan ever since I had the pleasure of going to COP21 um, earlier. Uh, well, at the end of 2015, um, I was uh, working with We Mean Business, which is a consultancy for companies that want to take specific uh, actions on, uh, on reducing their climate imprint. And uh, I went as a social media manager. I didn't know much about, about the, the sustainability world, uh, none of the acronyms. Um, I didn't know much about social media either. So uh, Green Biz, which I read every day, really helped me. It was a great resource. And uh, it was a fresh voice. Um, the articles were super um, understandable and covered a very broad aspect of, uh, of sustainability and climate change. Well, flattery will get you anywhere, apparently a job here too. So that's great. But um, what are you excited about? some of the topics that, you, that, you, that you've been thinking about or looking at? What, what, what's interesting to you? In the past uh, few weeks, I've had a, the opportunity to cover a couple of topics for GreenBiz uh, from social uh, and planetary boundaries that companies can, uh, can stay within to um, topics like public-private partnerships that can help uh, states like California, which are drought-stricken, to, uh, to help manage their water resources. Um, and uh, to uh, energy productivity for companies. So I'm interested in uh, most aspects of, uh, of how companies um, are becoming aware of their role of being good stewards of the, of the earth. Great. Well, we kind of threw you into the deep end by having your first day of work, November 1st, be at the BSR conference with about a thousand people here and lots of great content. So thanks for rolling with that. And um, thanks for joining the Green Biz team. We're so excited to uh, have you to be, lots more to come on the pages of Green Biz on, and on this uh, 350 podcast. Um, Anya Hollemeiser, welcome to Green Biz. Thank you so much, Joel. And thank you so much, Heather. It's a pleasure to work with you guys. Another story we had this week was from Rantau from BSR, writing about a number of companies, General Mills, NRG, Procter & Gamble, uh, that are all using science-based goals uh, to look at their, at their uh, climate commitments. Um, I mean, is this the term, I mean, is this the term that's out there? Do you think people, Heather, understand what science-based goals are? Well, I was just asking you to, to clarify it for me a little bit because I think it's still, I mean, the, the fundamental premise of it, of course, is to use what you know to right. actually more accurately decide what you're going to shoot for and, and what you need to do to get to that grand vision of two degrees or whatever it happens to be. So I think 
it's becoming more understood and so forth. Um, and we now finally have the data, the, the background information to, to start doing this. Yeah, I think of it as a company doing its fair share because they can make a 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 percent commitment. But how did you know that? What's that based on? Uh, you know, is that enough? If everybody did that, would it make a difference? And I think that's, the, that's what science-based goals are saying. Look, looking at the, what the science says we need to do in terms of cutting emissions, um, this and based on our company's actual contribution to uh, greenhouse gas emissions, this is how much we have to cut in order to uh, be do our fair share of the global commitment. And so we had at the BSR conference this week, Ken Powell, the CEO of General Mills for the last, uh, since 2007, really, I have to say, a very compelling speaker talking about uh, his company's uh, commitment of things. But also what was impressive is that it's very clear that this is a guy who's personally very interested in sustainability in general, climate change in particular, um, and uh, is is not just talking the talk. I mean, you don't see a lot of CEOs. I mean, a lot of CEOs are they, they say they're committed and they may well be, but he hangs out with scientists. He hangs out with uh, with some of the nerds who are actually doing some of the calculations, some of the work, and I've got a lot of them uh, out of the University of Minnesota and, and other where where uh, near where uh, General Mills is based. But they're one of the companies that's looking at it. Not uh, and, and one of its biggest imp impacts is in its agricultural footprint. And uh, you know the, they're vowed to cut the absolute greenhouse gas emissions 28% across this entire value chain, uh, you know, all the way from farm to fork to landfill, and uh, working with groups like BSR uh, on on how to do this. And I think it's it's really encouraging when you see companies that are first of all doing what the science says, and then you know making commitments based on that. That gives us some hope that these aren't just sort of random acts of targeting. Mm -hmm. I think it, it also tells you that people trust the data now, right? It's been verified. There's been a, several generations of, of, of um, audits and, and going back and looking at it and resetting goals and so forth. So we're at the point where we can actually have confidence that maybe we'll get there. Um, what, what, I think it, what, we have 170 people that are, uh, people, companies that have sort of agreed to do, to focus on this. Um, 20 of whom have been verified, right? So we have uh, BSR is doing some work here um, with, with an, uh, several other organizations to ensure that these science-based goals are actually indeed science-based. So Joel, speaking of science-based projects uh, and, and targets, you had a very interesting call this week from a certain very large retailer. Sure. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, to put it uh, lightly, yeah, so Walmart this week, uh, today on Friday the 4th, Doug McMillan, the CEO, is is making some commitments. This is the first set of commitments that the company has made since their big commitment, uh, zero waste and and make uh, greener products. Um, they we I was lucky enough to talk to them uh, earlier in the week. There's a story about it uh, on the uh, homepage of GreenBiz today. But I'll give you a little waste to landfill uh, in Canada, Japan, UK, and US by 2025. Um, but they're also, that's the beginning, they're going to sell more renewable products, uh, uh, reducing their, their product footprint. You can read the details in the story. I, I, I'm very curious, Joel. I mean, I think that this is the first time they've actually put a time frame around their clean energy. All we, they've said for a long time, it will be 100%, but they never said when. They're one of the top buyers of, of 
of renewable energy among companies like Apple. They're starting to, you know, get into uh, not, not not that they're selling it necessarily to the world, but they're you know generating the power and selling it to themselves. I did talk to Kathleen McGlynn, who is the uh, senior vice president and chief sustainability officer at Walmart, as well as Dan Bartlett, who's the executive vice president. And uh, here's what uh, they had to say about sort of where they are in their journey. Well, so you're right. Last year was the 10-year anniversary of our original commitments around energy, waste, and products. And that 10-year anniversary came at a time when we were in the midst of uh, really transforming our core business, right? I mean, you've been following us. You, you know, our, our transformation uh, from more of a pure bricks and mortar retailer into a true omni retailer, and providing our customers not only you know helping them save money to live better, but helping people save time and money to live better, so they can get products anywhere, anytime, anyplace. Um, that's really what we're we're doing globally. Um, so as we've been Articulating our business strategy over the last year, we've also taken a fresh look at our social and environmental goals uh, and said, let's take stock of the last 10 years. What have we learned and, and what's really on the horizon for the next 10 years? So, it's, you know, it's, it's a natural time for us to do that. So last year, we knew directionally where we wanted to go, but we needed some time to work through, okay, exactly what are we going to commit to? What's this next era for us? We really think at the heart of it, it's about transparency and trust in not only sustainability in terms of what are these products, where did they come from, how did they get made, um, but more broadly, economic opportunity and the role we can play in communities. So what you'll see Doug talking about Friday are really those those themes. Um, so in terms of sustainability, it's a continuation of the broadening and deepening of our agenda. Energy, waste, products, those are so important, but what we've realized is the role we can play transforming entire supply chains. And so the commitments we're about to make are specifically around things like life-based targets. You know, we'll be the first retailer to come out with very, you know, specific game plan around that that's been approved by, you know, CDP, WRI, WWF, UN Global Compact, and so on. We're going to put a time frame around our zero waste aspiration, you know, 2025, zero waste in our own top. And then a whole raft of commitments around product supply chains, um, you know, ranging from emissions and waste to deforestation to even worker dignity and, and things like responsible recruitment uh, in terms of labor. So we're pretty excited about those, and we can talk through any of the detail. But this, the second big theme is really around economic opportunity. And, again, continuation of things we've started in the last couple of years, we're going to go even broader and deeper around economic opportunity for our own associates, but more broadly in the retail industry, uh, and the opportunity that we can bring to bear around our purchase order and how we've been using that in different ways for local manufacturing, sourcing for women, and so on. And then, um, you know, in, in terms of community, um, this is an area that, really ever since Katrina and the work we've been doing in disaster relief. It's been very important, um, you know, the work we do around hunger, the work we do in local communities in terms of philanthropy and so on. That'll, that'll continue to be important. And, and in that area, we've got fewer new commitments, but it's an important part of the story and the frame that we want to set out. You mentioned a minute ago that you time to take stock in what have we learned and what do we do next. And and um, I I see, you know, obviously from this uh, this impressive bullet list that uh, Kevin shared with me, uh, what you're going to do next, but what have you learned? 
say a few things. One is um, the fact that ultimately any of the things we're pursuing, including all of our environmental sustainability work, is truly in service of people. And that, um, you know, over the years we've, we've learned we could probably raise our game in terms of how we're taking care of our own people and how people perceive us, and that's important. And um, a lot of what we've been working on has been in that arena. If you've been following us, you've seen the investments we've been making in our own associates in terms of not only wages but upskilling, you know, training and education. Um, we've probably spent less time on that part of the agenda with you, Joel, but, you know, that effort has a whole external aspect to it where we've been working with the National Retail Federation, with other retailers, with education providers, and so on, around more broadly reshaping the retail workforce development system so that retail as a sector can be a better functioning part of the overall workforce in America uh, and other markets, right? So it's a great place to start out in life, great place for that first job. But how do we use it as a way to provide people with the skills and job stability and flexibility that allows them to advance quickly, whether it's at Walmart or other places? Um, and then, you know, in sustainability, we've, we've done so much great work on energy and waste and so on. As we've gotten into all of our supply chain work, we've really come to appreciate the interplay between social issues and environmental issues and economic issues. And, you know, as you know, we tackle things quite holistically. So whether we're talking about seafood or apparel or, or what have you, um, we're looking end-to-end at these supply chains and trying to rewire the way they work to make them more sustainable for people as well as the planet. I'd also add that with over the last decade, the obviously with the, the transformation that's underway not only in our industry but throughout industries because of the role of technology, is that that has uh, raised expectations of, of not only customers but stakeholders, and to deepen trust with those customers is in large part through greater transparency. Not only greater transparency in what we, the information we share with them about the products they want to buy, but the transparency that Kathleen has just articulated with engaging, not in a com- in a way to try to seek competitive advantage, but in a way to work across industry across supply chain with competitors in some cases uh, when we're talking about workforce training development or talking about sustainability objectives that um, through those efforts uh, it not only makes us a better company where more people want highly talented people want to come work and be a Mm -hmm. part of it Mm -hmm. but one in which we deepen the relationship with our customers and stakeholders. So, Joel, I, I, you know, Walmart being the big company that it is, is a big target. So even though they do great things in this, in this area, they have received a lot of criticism in the past. So like, how are they able, you know, how does it address some of that? Well, they've had a reputational issues for a long, long time, or not just an environment, but in community and, and other things. Um, and I think one of the reasons that they're making this announcement at the Net Impact Conference, Net Impact is an organization for uh, MBAs and, and business students and, and recent grads, so they're basically young sustainability professionals, is this, this is their target market for their employee base, mm-hmm. not, their, not the, the associates at the store level, but their future leaders. And so I think they want, that's where they want to, to uh, be seen as a leader. Um, and, and a lot of other companies go to net impact. They could have made it here at BSR, which is a bunch of big corporations, but it, it may not be, you know, these aren't necessarily the future leaders. These are today's leaders. But one, one of the issues, I asked uh, Dan Bartlett, um, his predecessor was, was Leslie Dock, uh, who 
uh, oversaw, among other things, uh, corporate communications. And I interviewed Les uh, Doc uh, when he left the company several years ago. Um, it's one of my exit interview series. Uh, I asked him, you know, about the media treatment, and he he, he, he expressed frustration uh, about um, that every time Walmart made a good announcement, that the media, mainstream media, would lead with in an effort to combat their bad reputation. Uh, Walmart today announced, mm-hmm. and it was always couched in that. And I asked yeah. if we had made any progress in that, and he, he said it sounds like the, it sounds like he thinks they they they've come a ways there. There's still a ways to go, but uh, at least the media is starting to see that they're um, you know trying to do the right thing. But I'm not sure the media is necessarily who they're playing to here. It's really the thought leaders, and I think in the thought leader community, uh, in, in here at the BSR conference, uh, and in fact a lot of other conferences, uh, Walmart's being seen as a leader, whether that translates into the sales or hiring. I have to say that some of the commitments they've made, and we didn't get into all of them here, go to uh, the labor uh, and, and, and uh, uh, living wage and some of the other issues that have been um, uh, problems for them for reputationally for a long time, uh, trying to help um, associates advance in their careers and, and making some conscious efforts here. So we'll see how that pays off in terms of is Walmart, you know, seen as a good company. What do you think gives them the confidence that they're going to get there? Well, you know, they picked this date. They, you know, why now? You know, I, I mean, I think it's time for them just to put some, as we said, some meat on the bones of their commitments, but. Uh, they are getting confidence. They've been doing this now for uh, 11 years since they really you know, came out the gate uh, with these aspirations. And um, it was, it's always interesting to see this. We saw this with McDonald's. We saw this with Nike. We saw this with Starbucks. We've seen it with so many other companies that in, in many ways came to this uh, party, if you will, under attack from activists on whether it was on labor issues or litter or uh, whatever it was. And often those companies end up being the leaders because they, they realize – First of all, that they can get out from under the reputational hole. And second of all, this stuff can save money. This is good stuff, good for operations. It's good for employee engagement and attracting and retaining talent. Um, uh, you know, they can show some good financial return. And, and it, then it becomes, uh, they become not just, uh, you know, advocates, but they become activists in a certain kind of way. And in Walmart's case, where they're so good at, at um at pushing these things off to their suppliers and engaging so many of their partners, you know, for better or for worse, uh, they have, uh, they've figured out that this works for them at multiple levels, that this is, um, this is the way they have to be, uh, to, to succeed, to survive and thrive. And it's not just the right to operate, but it's the, it's the opportunity to, to engage and have a, you know, the workforce, um, that they want to have, and because you know they're getting moving into this blended model now. It's not just stores; it's it's online, and and just as you see in factories, people need to be educated, and they need to be uh, literate in technology. They need a, a lot more things than just being able to meet and greet at the right. front door, and um, they need to attract those people, and they need to bring their current uh, workforce along with them. And and so it, this is it's more than an opportunity; it's really a requirement.
Well, we're going to leave it at that this week. There's lots more to talk about, but we'll pick that up next week. I do want to uh, give a call out to uh, the Verge Summit Series report that we published this week. Um, there's an article by uh, our, our colleague Shauna Rappaport that ran on Wednesday, what success looks like at our Verge Summit Series. And you can download a, uh, a nice report on the four summits that we did at Verge this year. These are half-day a uh, smaller group or like 60, 80 people on the uh, utility of the future, next-gen buildings, connected transportation, and the circular economy. Uh, I encourage you to just get that free download report. Uh, you'll find that on our site and on the uh, uh, on the article for this week's podcast. Um, but for now, that's our 350 podcast this week. Go to greenbiz.com slash 350, and you'll find the links to the organization stories and events that we mentioned here. Uh, thanks to our podcast director, Soraya Melconian, and thanks to senior writer Heather Clancy for being such a great co-host this week. Hope you enjoy the rest of your trip to New York, Joel. Thanks <laughs> yeah. for uh, dropping by. I always do. Uh, contact us by email, 350 at greenbiz.com. We'd love to hear from you. Um, by the way, if you're enjoying this podcast, we'd be grateful if you could tell others about it. Uh, help spread the word via Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or any other means at your disposal. We're getting a great audience, and we'd love to help get the word out to an even greater audience. And we'll see you back here next week for another edition of GreenBiz 350. Until then, for all of us here at GreenBiz Group, I'm Joel McCower. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, have a great day. Mm-hmm.